Let's continue to worship the Lord together with reading from God's Word in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, and we'll read together verses 22 to 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray together. Father, give us grace that we do not live our lives for that which is going to fade, wither, or fall. But, having been born again by the imperishable seed, it's evident that we belong to you because we obey the truth, leading us to really love people, sincerely love people, earnestly love other people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Peter had been with Jesus uh, for uh, three years. In fact, I was reading this morning from Mark's gospel, and, and it says, uh, when Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea came and wrapped him in a linen shroud. Do you remember this? And then they buried him. And on resurrection day, Peter is the one who went to the tomb, he and John. And does anybody remember what Peter found in the tomb? Not the body of the Lord Jesus, but what did he find? Those grave clothes. Friends, Christ is not dead. Christ is not bound. He is alive He abides, and that has everything to do with your real life. So we were here in 1 Peter in a series of sermons entitled Heading Home, and we get that from the way Peter addresses his audience. The original audience and now us live as exiles. This isn't home. The next time somebody asks you, where are you from? You can say, I'm from the kingdom of God. That'd be fine because that's what's true. We're heading home. We're not home yet, but we're not just marking time and saying, well, I'll get home one day. No, we're not tourists seeing the sights in the world, and neither are we orphans. Those who don't have a home, we have a home. We're heading there. We're sojourners doing good to the world that we don't belong to anymore. Well, we want to take these verses, verses 22 to 25, and and study them, learn from them, and have them examine us. And I'll tell you the truth, when I did that this week, study these verses, uh, I noticed some major changes that need to come to my life. I just want you to notice, just by way of introduction, verse 22, having purified your souls. Now, I know I've said this before, but oftentimes the most important things need to be repeated and again and again. You don't have a soul, you are a soul. Now, your soul, having been purified by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, when you obey Jesus, it will result in you really loving people. That's what Peter just said. So, um, I would have thought, perhaps, theologically speaking, that this verse would say, having been purified, now obey. But that's actually not what it says. Now that you've been purified, start obeying. That's not what it says. Having, been purified, having purified your souls by your obedience. I don't know how that lands on you. I mean, it's theologically important to know how your soul gets purified. And we're people who believe we're saved by grace through faith unto works. We believe that because that's what the Bible says. You're not saved by works. 
But I'll tell you this, man, if you're not doing good in the world, the Bible would say, we need to examine whether or not you've come out of that grave. Now, I'll use this example. Uh, Julie and I have been cleaning up some stuff in our house, trying to bring some order. And I've noticed that I have a pretty good number of diet and exercise books, can I just tell you? And they all sounded good when I was uh, skimming them in the store. And then I bought them, and you know what? Here's the truth of the matter. A lot of them I've read. Here's a good workout. 40-day this, 30-day this, do this, do that. I've read a lot of them. I just haven't done a lot of them. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, the books are written so that I would be healthy. But I can't get healthy by reading the book. I have to be healthy by doing what it says. That's what Peter is saying. If you have a good diet and exercise book outlining the healthy way to eat and the healthy way to exercise, you don't get healthy by reading the book. You get healthy by reading unto doing in the actual obeying of what is written. So, friends, we can read all day long that Jesus says, love your enemies. And you might know that it says that, but do you do that? By loving your enemy, I mean you're trying to actually do good for them. My soul is purified as I obey the truth. You're told again and again to listen to yourself, to follow your heart, be true to yourself. Read it carefully. Having purify your souls by your obedience to the truth. Listen to me. Your soul doesn't get purified by obeying your soul. Peter just said, if your soul is really going to be purified, alive, active, if you're really going to have joy in your life, it doesn't come by listening to your soul. You need to listen to something outside of yourself, namely the truth, which comes from God. You follow your heart to your own destruction and demise. The truth that we obey is outside of my own sinful soul and is found in Christ and is the only thing then that can purify my soul. Now, I think we'll be helped greatly in understanding this passage by listening to something that Jesus taught. And Peter would have heard it. So I want you to hold your spot there in 1 Peter and go with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to begin in verse number 25. And you may be very familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. But I want you to listen to the passage, and then we'll go back to what Peter's been talking about. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. It matters the way that you approach Jesus. He's not approaching him in humility. He just wants to prove himself, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? So the man comes with a question. Jesus points him to the scripture. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He's read the diet and exercise book. He said to him, you've answered correctly. Notice what Jesus says. Do this and you will live. Now here's the great help of the law. Guess what the law reveals to us? We don't do it. We don't. Only Jesus has. He's the only one who he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law points us to the fact that we don't do what we should do. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
Now, one of the goals we have for today is by the end of the service, you'll be able to answer that question correctly. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? So Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and we, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now it's helpful to point out in this matter that Jesus is questioned by a Jewish lawyer, and for a Jewish audience, the most, their enemies were the Samaritans. The Jewish lawyer would likely say everything that's wrong with the world is the Samaritan's fault. So Jesus is making the Samaritan... The point of the story is he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy, and Jesus answered him, you go, and here's our word again, and do likewise. It's not just enough to be able to recount the story that I told. Is this how you live your life? Well, friends, to really love other people, love one another earnestly. Obey the truth so that you love one another earnestly. Loving others always involves tangible action. Whether it's millions of orphans in the world right now, or children being trafficked, or people going without bread today, to love them means we would act. The Bible says, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Is your life kind of defined by laying down your life like Jesus lays down his life? So here's good news. Jesus is Love for you is an active love. He didn't find you and walk by you. He didn't merely sit up in heaven saying, I love you. His compassion leads him to be personally involved. You can't get more personally involved than being crucified on the cross. So that's what Jesus is teaching in this parable. Obeying God allows you to do what he most wants you to do in the world. Sincerely love other people. So, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Question, if you fell among robbers who beat you and left you dead, what would you want someone to do for you? Answer, not walk by on the other side. Holding your religious degrees and your religious positions. You don't want as a banner over your life, passed by on the other side, do you? So for all their Bible knowledge, I mean, a priest and a Levite, most of the law they would have had memorized for all their knowledge, they don't obey the truth. They would have heard the Lord our God is one. They know the commandments. They know the Ten Commandments. They know the Psalms. Like this lawyer, they could have probably answered a theological question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Here's the question. What's written in you? What's written here? He will write their, his law on their hearts. They know it, but they don't know it. You know what I'm saying? 
In contrast, the context of the story, the Samaritan probably doesn't have a lot of Bible knowledge, probably never stood up in front of a group of people to teach the Scriptures. But he does have something the Bible calls compassion. It means his heart is like God's heart. Now, question. Having been purified by your obedience to the truth, love one another earnestly. Are the Levite and the priest, are their souls being purified? Answer, no. Their souls actually, in a manner of speaking, are in more danger than the man who fell among the robbers, actually. Because they know the word, they don't do the word. And even more striking, they teach the word and don't do the word. So they're not being purified by their obedience. They are being deceived and their hearts are being hardened by their disobedience. The fact that they know the Bible, teach the Bible, are respected. Everybody that they come in contact with probably nods their head and says, there's the respectable, religious, moral leaders, but their hearts are not softening towards God or their neighbor. Rather, their hearts are hardening. And I bet they can rationalize and justify all the reasons they cannot stop and help. They can probably argue the existence of God teach insightful lessons from the scripture, but when given the opportunity to actually help someone, passed by on the other side. And, and this whole teaching from Jesus begins when he's questioned by a lawyer. So one of the things we can say is better to know one verse of the Bible and do it than know all the verses and never obey, right? The lawyer wants to test him The lawyer thinks he has a high view of God. Jesus reveals to him, actually, your view of the law is not nearly high enough. And then, instead of really wanting to listen and learn and be humble, the lawyer, this is where some people get stuck, is more interested in a philosophical discussion of who my neighbor really is. Well, who is my neighbor? (laughs) And we're that way too, aren't we? We'll help our neighbor. As long as he doesn't ask too much, has the same beliefs I have, looks like me, has the same political views as me, and pays me back in a reasonable amount of time, then I'll help. And that's not how Jesus helped us. If Jesus had only helped those like him, he would have never helped anyone at all. It's really straightforward and simple. That's why this is such a powerful story from Jesus. We give the love to others we've received from God. Jesus is the true good Samaritan, the one who's despised by everyone around him, who actually at great cost to himself brings help. Now, none of us keep the law perfectly. That's one of the primary purposes of God's law, to show us how short we fall of godliness and holiness. And Jesus keeps the commandments perfectly. This is the imperishable seed, the good news that's preached. We are loved and saved graciously by someone who owes us just the opposite of what he's actually given us. There's a reason that the good Samaritan cannot pass by on the other side. His heart is compassionate. So, to take what Peter is saying and upheld by what Jesus is teaching, the good news came to you so that you would love other people. Let's not turn the good news into self-centeredness. It came to you so that you would love and do good to other people. 
All the other reasons, friends, all the other reasons wither and fade. That's what Peter is saying. The grass, it withers. The fall, man, we're in fall. I love fall. It's so nice to walk out in the cool of the day this morning. Man, there's a reason it says Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. So much better. I, I um, did a little yard work. I'm still a little yard work yesterday. Cleaned off the driveway, cleaned off the yard. And by the time I cleaned off the yard, I, the driveway looked like it hadn't been cleaned at all. Isn't that frustrating? Plus, some people say I'm not going to rake leaves until they've all fallen. I used to be one of those, but I just wanted to clean off. And it's just, it's like it, it, there's a futility to it. That's what Peter is saying. The grass withers, the flowers fall. They might be beautiful for a moment, but they're not going to last. This lasts loving people unto the kingdom. In his book, Ordinary, let's just get specific for a moment. In his book, Ordinary, Tony Morita gives a long list of how you can love your neighbor. So I'm just going to read the list that he has. But I want you internally now to begin to say, let's go from theory to practice. And if someone I mention, a name comes to you that you could serve and love, I want you to, that's, that's, that's the point, right? Support the single mother. Defend vulnerable widows. Care for orphans. Feed the hungry. Give medical care to the diseased. Help the unemployed. Visit prisoners. Welcome sojourners. Counsel the abused, comfort the grieving, serve the elderly, tutor the underprivileged, care for the disabled, welcome internationals, minister to the addicted, give aid victims to, to those or aid victims of disaster, fight child labor and child pornography, love unto racial reconciliation, bring the gospel to the spiritually lost. Friends, that's what you've been born again to do. Now you cannot do all of that, but you can do some of that. And before you say, I don't have time, let me just say gently, yes. You do. But I want to emphasize the Samaritan, verse 33, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he felt guilt. It's not what it says. Friends, if you just feel guilty, hey, I really should help people more, that's not, sustain, it's not going to sustain you past probably the first week. You'll do it once, and then you'll say, well, okay, I'm good. No, he's motivated by compassion. So we, we're not motivated to love other people because of guilt, but because of grace. And I'll tell you this, grace is something that will sustain you. I think we tire out too fast. Can I just say that for a moment? When I, when I read about generations prior to ours and what believers in Christ really did, man, they had a fierceness and a faithfulness and a perseverance about them that I am stunned by. But I recognize that they've been born again by grace. And grace sustains you to keep going. Look at, look at this guy. Think, think of all the times he could have quit. He went to him. Boy. Verse, verse 34. All right. So there's an order. That's where some of us need to start. We're just going to start going. My life is not about me. My life is about helping others. He went to him, bound up his wounds. Now, that's a mess. I mean, that's getting blood on you. Right? I'm binding up his wounds. And, and then pour out oil and wine. That's some of the most valuable commodities he has. But he says, I need to spend this on him, not on myself. And he could have quit there. He do, he's already, listen to me, he's already done more than anybody else. But that's not where he stops. Then he set him on his own animal. Now he's walking when he had been riding. So now he's uncomfortable. And... brought him to an inn and took care of him. Well, there's a lot behind that phrase, isn't there? 
He stay in the night. The next day, he took out two denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. So he's worked two days to pay what he does and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So I'm sticking with him. Not cleaning my hands off. I'm good. I've done my part. I'm gone. He's coming back. I'm going to come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? We're in Luke. We're going to get back to Peter, but before we do, let's go to 2 Corinthians. So if you're in Luke, it's, 2 Corinthians is another New Testament book. As you might suspect, it comes right after 1 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Just want you to see we're still talking about love that's earnest. All right, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 8, Paul's now writing, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's powerful, isn't it? So what it's saying is, again, Jesus didn't pass by the other side. He's the true priest. He's the true Levite. He's the true neighbor. He didn't pass by on the other side, but he became poor, meaning he poured out himself unto death. A grace-filled person lives as a mercy-extending person. Now let's go back to 1 Peter, and just for a few minutes, we're studying it all the way through, so, so we get the letter thought by thought, verse by verse, and for a moment, Hang with me. I want to read the ing verbs in our recent sections we've been studying so that you can learn this is what should be going on in my life right now. This, let's take the stone away. This has everything to do with your life right now, the ongoing ing word. So here we go. Verse 13, let's go back to that. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. What would that mean? Well, to use the Samaritan, you're not going through your day saying, I hope nobody interrupts my schedule. No, you're preparing your mind for action. What kind of action? To actually do good to other people. Preparing. And then, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed. It's really, do not be conforming to the passions of your former ignorance. Honestly, the reason so much good is not done in the world right now is because too many of us are still conforming to the passions of our former ignorance. So don't conform anymore to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Don't conform anymore to selfishness, that your life is about yourself. It's not. You've been raised to a new way of living. The priest and the Levite conform to ignorance. Their passion was for comfort and just being left alone. I'll just show up, teach my Bible study, make my sacrifice, and then I go home and nobody makes any demands on me while enjoying the reputation for godliness. It's almost to them as if the ruling teaching of their heart was ignore your neighbor, not love your neighbor. 
But the Samaritan was not conforming to the ways around him. And friends, can we look around the world and agree that this is the state of things? Impurity and selfishness of soul has ruined the world. Selfishness is perishable seed. Loving yourself is perishable seed. That kind of soul withers and fades. But one reason I love the Good Samaritan as an example of what Peter's talking about is this. Pop quiz. Where's the Samaritan going in the story? Where's he going? He's heading home. He's on his way home. And he's not. He's not passing through that area as a tourist. No, he's passing through. And if we understand the historical context, he's going through a place where he's despised. Geographically speaking, he probably needs to be in a rush to get home. Nobody around here is on my team, so to speak. They don't, they don't like me. They don't want me. They, they want me out of here. But he's heading home when he comes across the man who was in need. Now, this is where it's applicable to us. He doesn't say, well, I'd help if I could, but I'm on my way home. I think that's why we, we don't live that way as Christians. So when we talk about heading home, it doesn't mean we don't do good to the place that's not our home, if that makes sense. Look in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the, way, on the day of visitation. So here's how it would work for the Samaritan. I think about this every time I read the Good Samaritan parable. This man who fell among the robbers was a Jewish man. And in that time and place, likely raised to think of Samaritans as his enemy and as less than. And for the rest of his life, anytime he was around people who would say things like, Samaritans are unclean. Samaritans are our enemies. Don't you think that man would say, I've heard that my whole life, but the only one who stopped and helped clean me up was a Samaritan. I've heard my whole life Samaritans are no good, but the only one who did good to me was a Samaritan. And isn't that exactly what Peter is saying? On the day of visitation, people are going to remember your good deeds. That's what Peter calls to mind, your good deeds. You've actually done good to other people and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let your light so shine before others that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its flavor, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, passed by on the other side. So, a few concluding applications in light of these things. If you're going to really love people, you have to be people-focused, not schedule or task-focused. And I say this as a schedule and task-focused human being. I'm eager to help so long as it doesn't interrupt. Correction. You're never going to help somebody, really, if it's not an interruption. And can we just also say this? Stop thinking of it as an interruption. Enter an Operation Christmas Child, and Lori's always done such a good job of saying this is a gospel opportunity. And, and I think you would reframe the interruptions that way. This is a gospel 
opportunity. Who's your neighbor? I told you we we're going to be able to answer that. You know who your neighbor is? Whoever's in your path. That's your neighbor. As he was walking along, he came to the man who had, right? So, give you some things I'm, will both be challenging, but man, so good for your soul. Give your neighbor a name. Know your neighbor's name. Single mom, elderly who's isolated, orphan, young person without a godly influence in their life. Know them by name. Not a project, it's a person. Also, hold loosely to your animal and your coins and your denarii. Amen? It's all right if you get to the end of your life and you don't have a lot of denarii. That's going to be all right. In, in fact, you probably should. <laughs> because you've, you've poured it out. You've poured it out for other people. Helping others is messy. There are going to be fingerprints on the glass. There are going to be coffee stains on the carpet. Neither the church building nor your living room are going to stay clean if you're really helping people. Bound up, poured out. Those are the words used of the Good Samaritan. But friends, you were a mess when Jesus found you. Were there some things that needed to be bound up, cleaned up? Time spent with you? You know, I think about Jesus during his ministry. (laughs) I I realize more and more I've got a heart that's kind of wired like Martha. You remember when Jesus was in her house, she just wanted order. Tell Mary to get in here and help me. Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Is that true of anybody this morning? Only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the better portion. Don't roll the stone away, Jesus. Martha, again, might not smell so good. Let me run home and get some perfume or some scrubbing bubbles or whatever. I think about Jesus during his ministry. I don't think there are many days he didn't finish exhausted, do you? He's worn out, tired. Hey, if you're tired, good. means you've been doing something. I mean, if you're tired for the right reasons, right? I don't think there are many days he finished when he wasn't tired. He'd been with the dirty, the lepers, the prostitutes, the blind, the deaf, the frantic parents, the grief-stricken. Been around demons. Casting them out, sending them on. Not a single day he didn't fill up with obedience to the truth leading to love. Amen? So, here are my concluding applications. I know I already said that, but now I really mean it. I got four. Number one. Your neighbor is the person on your path. Therefore, if you are on a path where you don't regularly come across people in need, you are on the wrong path. Say that again. Your neighbor is the person on your path. So therefore, if you are on a path where you don't regularly come across people in need, you are on the wrong path. It wouldn't be possible to be on a path like that and be following Jesus. Because Jesus is going to go to where the trouble is. He's going to go to the tomb. He's going to go to those who need help. Second application is, by God's grace, never settle for a life of knowing apart from doing. That was the issue with the Levite. 
How many Sunday school lessons have you listened to in your life? How many sermons have you listened to in the last five years? How many devotional books have you made your way through? How many books about Jesus and the gospel have you read in your life? How many conferences have you attended with worthwhile teaching and preaching? How much good have you done to others? Don't settle for a life of knowing apart from doing. Third, since helping people, really helping people, requires time, sacrifice, and effort, don't make comfort and order your priorities. I'm preaching to myself now. How many people have sat at your kitchen table because they had nowhere else to go? Now, I'll tell you this, better, better to have a um, carpet that's trod through and dishes that broke, even the Christmas china, huh? really love people. Jesus didn't hold you at arm's length, and he's not calling you to to do that either. You can never carry the cross and have a neat, orderly, scheduled life. In fact, I think what Peter is saying, having purified your souls, we worry too much about keeping our hands clean. He's not worried about the hands. He's worried about the soul. So the purer the soul, the dirtier the hands. That's the way I would like to say it. Maybe a better way of saying it. The cleaner the soul, the more pierced the hands and the feet. And then fourth, there is more joy in obeying Jesus by loving others than there will ever be and passing by on the other side. Think of the two knights. We'll just use the priest, contrast him with the Samaritan. Think about their knights. Priest probably got home, got to his comfortable house, sat down. <sighs> Day's over. I can rest and relax. And then split the screen with me as if it were a movie. And now you look at the Samaritan. At the inn, it's not where he thought he was going to finish that day. Bruised, beaten, half dead. That's the way. So he's holding his head up. Give him something to drink. Easing him back down. Probably doesn't sleep a wink that night. Two denarii shorter. Unlikely that it'll ever be paid back. And I mean this Sincerely. Who would you rather be in light of who Jesus is? Let's stand together and we'll pray together. If you'll pray with me, and then we'll have a time of response and I really believe this. If God would give us ears to hear what he says in his word this morning, life doesn't just keep going as it's been going, you know? 
So what I'm going to pray is that for each of us in the room, God would, by his spirit, really reveal some people in your path. Father, I thank you that we have a king, the Lord Jesus, who didn't pass by on the other side. But in grace and in in mercy and in compassion, because of the great love with which he loved us, he intervened, he restores, he binds up, he heals. Father, I pray that we are a people like Jesus, and so therefore our church, God, I just simply ask that you would help us to live lives of sacrifice more than we desire orderliness. Believe you know what I'm asking when I ask that. Help us to be willing to not be interrupted so much as to have eyes to see gospel opportunities. And I pray in the weeks that are to come, there are people here worshiping with us that had people standing right here in the room right now. Serve them like the Good Samaritan does. In Jesus' name, amen.